In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, grace and peace to you from above. It is affectionately known by some as the joint, not only because of the shape and size of the fortress's architecture, but also because of the four looming and ominous years of instruction facing those who are about to enter its halls. It is formally known as the United States Military Academy, or West Point for short. The newly chosen and called young women and men are summoned to West Point by letter with instructions to report to the cadet wearing the red sash. Upon arrival, they are warmly and kindly greeted and then instructed to turn in their civilian clothes, receive a quick haircut for the males, and then smartly marched off to what is also affectionately known as Beast Barracks. During the ensuing four years of instruction in engineering, mathematics, and language, amongst other disciplines, the cadets are bathed in intrinsic instruction in non-tangibles such as leadership, duty, honor, and country. Upon completion of their rigorous instruction, the newly minted lieutenants are unleashed upon the soldiers of the United States Army. Over the years of knowing many who graduated from West Point, I have observed some inherent qualities within most, not all, of those who attended. Those qualities, one, the ability to develop deep and lasting genuine friendships, and two, a deep understanding of loyalty learned through shared suffering together. I believe those two qualities are forged through a third quality, of developing a deep understanding of what it means to put aside the creature comforts of this world and to exchange them for service wearing the uniform of the United States Army. May I suggest a direct parallel between those who are chosen and called to attend West Point with those who are chosen and called by Jesus to follow him. Take, for instance, the initial group of 12 apostles and the women who were called with them to follow Jesus. Those 12 and those women followed Jesus for three years. And when those three years were complete, they were to be unleashed upon the world to bring the message of the good news of the gospel to all people. Yes, the call to follow me and I will make you fishers of people or simply the call to come and see caused fishermen to leave their nets in their boats, tax collectors to leave their booths, and all the others to leave behind their homes, their families, and their friends to follow the one they believe to be the Messiah, the one to come, the one sent from above, Jesus. That somehow during those three years of following Jesus, the men and women called by Christ, chosen by Jesus, symbolically changed their fishing garb, their tax-collecting suit, their ladies' apparel, to, put on, to putting on the tunic of disciple, to wearing the mantle of leader in what was to become known as the church. May I suggest that these followers of Jesus developed and learned intrinsic values, such as how to develop deep friendships and loyalty, through shared suffering, through shared failures, and that by putting aside the creature comforts of the world in which they lived, 
they came to know and serve the risen Lord. May I suggest also that they slowly developed a shared understanding that the Messiah himself, Jesus himself, left all behind to do the will of the Father, to suffer at the hands of the chief priests and the Romans, and then to rise again from the dead. Is there not a thread, a connection between these two examples with all four of our readings from today's lectionary? Let's take a look at our first reading from Ecclesiastes, purportedly written by King Solomon, the one known to be the wisest person in the world, the wealthiest, the most at rest and peaceful king Israel was to have known, the writer of Proverbs. And some of our collected psalms, this Solomon declares in the word of God that all things are made up of bovine excrement. No, really, the marginal definition of vanities of vanities, all is vanity, is simply bovine excrement. Through 12 chapters of beautifully written, expertly crafted prose concerning such things as the accumulation of wealth through work, the attraction of developing only a physical relationship with another person, gardening, seeking wisdom, seeking intelligence, the saving up of an inheritance for one's children and grandchildren, through 12 chapters of Scripture known as the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon declares, it is all a vanity, or more pointedly, it is all bovine excrement. Save one thing, investing in and coming to know the eternal God and following God's commands. Listen to the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 11 to 13. The end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For that is the whole duty of everyone. Or in other words, love God and love your neighbor. Now what it doesn't say is go out and quit your job. Or don't pursue a partner to live with. Or don't save up your money. What it does say, however... What it does mean, however, that in all things of this world, make sure that in them you honor and love God first, and second, love your neighbor as you love yourself. For you see, when we work in a manner that serves God first, we love others as we love ourselves. When we pursue relationships that honor God first, we truly are free to love the other as we love ourselves first. And when we accumulate wealth of some kind, either financial or material, and when we intend to use that wealth with the eternal in mind, we love God and love our neighbor. The same may be said of the 49th Psalm from this morning's readings. To paraphrase one verse, the ransom of our lives is so great that only God can pay the cost. Thus, the aim and end of one's life is merely to love God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength, and to love our neighbors as we are to love ourselves. The gospel reading from Luke is much along a similar vein. Listen to this. Someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. 
Now, I can guarantee you that somewhere in this land, somewhere in this country, Monday morning in some court of law, some person will be saying to some judge, give me what I am owed. The Messiah's response is quick and to the point. Friend, who set me to be a judge over you? In other words, Jesus is saying, I am not about the wealth of this world, my friend. And then Jesus goes on to say to the crowd, take care, watch out for greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. The bumper sticker is wrong. The one who dies with the most toys does not win. They just simply die. And then all that they have accumulated, all that they have gained, is divided up or sold for a fraction of the cost. Jesus then tells the crowd a parable concerning a rich man who was once again abundantly blessed with more material wealth than one could imagine. And instead of realizing that this blessing is from above, the man selfishly and self-centeredly turns inward and says, Oh boy, now I am really rich. And we have a very good modern-day example of this from the former occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, a person who has accumulated much wealth during his life and much power during his days on earth, and then found himself in a position to which he said, I will tear down what I have to build a larger barn. Fool. Little does he know that much more than that is and will be demanded of him. Jesus then says to the crowd, then says to you and me, do not store up treasures for yourselves, but be rich toward God. In other words, don't invest in worldly things. Invest in eternal things. Leave the riches of wealth, the allure of power, the personal gratification of sexual pleasure, the desire to control and manipulate those around you, Leave such things behind and seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are eternal. Invest in God, God's word, and men and women's souls. Which leads me to our reading from Colossians. If investing in earthly things is not the best course of action, then what is the recommended course of action? No preaching is needed here, just listening from our, our reading in Colossians. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have 
stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, like the young men and women called and chosen to be called cadets, like the men and women called and chosen to follow the Lord, like you who have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things above, for you have died and your life is now hidden in Christ. You see, our lives are no longer our own. Our lives now belong to God. Seek the eternal things. God, God's word, and men and women's souls. All else is really bovine excrement. Amen. Amen.